So today we're going to be uh, continuing our series in 1 John. Um, specifically today, the passage we'll be in is 1 John 2, 7 through 14. And so I'd like you to turn your Bibles there and as, as turn in your Bibles to uh, 1 John 2, 7 through 14. And as you do so, I'd love for you to read along with me to engage in the Word and to pay attention and put away some of those distractions that um, might cause you, if you're doing it on your phone, maybe turn some notifications off. I want you to read this with me. Read to yourselves as I read it out loud. So here we are in 1 John 2, 7 through 14. Beloved, I am writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says that he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. And so if you're just joining us today, or if maybe you need a little bit of refresher, this is the third week that we've been in this series of 1 John, and Pastor Matt picked it up the first week sort of explaining why John is writing this epistle or this letter to the church, and what was going on in this time, the church had been going on strong, maybe not strong, but it's been going on for at least 90-ish years at this time, and so um, the, the problem here is that there was a lot of false teachers that had come, and they would brought a lot of these new truths, and so John... Uh, is wanting to address that because a lot of people in this time were questioning what does it mean to be a Christian and what do they actually believe? And also, am I a Christian? Am I saved? And so John is going to answer that problem with this text and this passage. And so we talked about in 1 John the fact that he starts out kind of building this foundation. That foundation is built upon Jesus and who he is. That Jesus has existed from the beginning, that he is eternal, that he has always been there, but that also he was made manifest. He was real. He came down here. He lived a life on this earth, and the apostles saw him, and they touched him, and they heard him, and he brought to them a message so that they could have fellowship with God and with each other, and their joy may be complete. And then Ryan, Pastor Ryan, picked it up last week, uh, starting off passage, uh, John chapter 2, and he was talking about what that message is, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness. And as Christians, we are to walk in the light. And what that means, it's, it's to, to obey his commandments, but that Christ is our advocate in this process. And so here we are today, 
coming to the kind of the middle of, of John chapter 2, um, and we start out in verse 7. So I just want to start out there. Beloved, I am writing to you no new commandment. And I want to stop right there and tell you, honestly, this passage was really tough for me. Uh, I don't know, you, you guys probably don't know this, but I'm not a very smart person. I probably come across very smart, but um, I had to read this passage a lot. Like, I, I was talking to my friend Josh Rice before, um, before the sermon today. That guy is just so smart. It's like talking to Google. Like, he is literally, like, like I probably should just say, okay, Josh, and you could ask him anything, and not only would he have this well-thought-out, amazing answer, he would also somehow bring it back to the gospel or to the Bible. That guy just, man, he is, he is so amazing. I really love Josh as a member of this church, and he's also a professor at Corbin, so it kind of makes sense that he's smart. I'm not Josh, okay? He's probably out in the parking lot. I don't think he's hearing this, which is good. don't want to build him up too much. Um, I studied this passage a lot. I read through this passage a lot. And then after I read through it, I prayed. I said, God, what is your word saying here? Teach me your word. What are you saying to me through this text? And then when I did that, I tested it among my friends and other believers in Christ. And I said, here's what I feel like God is saying through this. And I asked them, and I got input, and I got feedback. And I tell you that today, not only because I absolutely 100% Christians that you should read your Bible this way, but that I bring nothing new to you today. I have nothing that comes outside of this. The message that I give to you today comes from the Word of God. And that's what John is saying here. In a time when there are new teachers, when they're bringing in all of these new ideas, he's saying, there's nothing new for you. I am writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. And here's what he says. What is that old commandment? It is the word that you have heard. And so John's not necessarily being ambiguous here by not explicitly saying it. He's, he's preaching to his church, people that know him really well, and they really know uh, what John is saying here. And he's, he's doing this to remind them. And so it, he even goes on to explicitly say it in 1 John chapter 3, 11. A little bit later, he'll talk about this. He says, For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. So today, this old commandment, the way we live out the commandments, is to love one another. This is a message that it's nothing new to the church. The church had been hearing this for 1,400 years about this time. Since Deuteronomy 6, they've heard this message. This message of love flows through the Bible like a river. It is heard over and over and over again. This is nothing new to the church at this point. This is an old commandment. So then what does John say in the next verse? We go on to verse 8. He says, At the same time, this is a new commandment that I am writing to you. So I'll just stop right there because I know what you're thinking. John's, it's old man John at this time, and he's, he's preaching to the church. You know, may, you may be questioning, didn't you just say, John, this is an old commandment? What are you saying now it's a new commandment? Is that dementia kicking in, John? No, no, it's not. See, what John is doing and, if, and I want you to pay attention to the way that chapter 2 started out. If you go back to last week, it started out, my little children. What I believe here is John is remembering the words of Jesus. And so I want you to turn to uh, the gospel of John, chapter 13, uh, verses 33 through 36. And we're going to go into why he is saying this is a new commandment. And I want to set this up just a little bit for you. 
So this is Jesus talking to his apostles, and they're sitting around the Lord's table at this time. They're about to take the um, Lord's Supper, and this is um, that famous picture that you all see, you know, where, where all the apostles are sitting around with Jesus. And Jesus had just finished washing the disciples' feet, and he had also just named Judas as a betrayer among them. And so John is witnessing all of these strange things happening, and Jesus is talking and one of his good friends has, has been identified as going to betray his best friend. And can you imagine what John's going through at this time? And then Jesus says, little children, here in verse 33, yet a little while I am with you, you will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. Here it is. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. You see, what John is saying when he's saying it's a new commandment is he's referring back to that time. He started out this passage talking about little children. He's remembering this, what Jesus did. He's remembering that Jesus called this a new commandment. And so the way that Jesus made this a new commandment is now you're not only required to love, but Jesus has set the standard for love. You see what he says here is he says that you love one another just as I have loved you. So Jesus made this commandment new by setting the standard for love. The other thing that happens in this passage uh, in, in the Gospel of John is that Jesus also made it new by saying this. You pick up what he says here. He says, where I am going, you cannot come. What he's saying is, I'm going to be with you no longer. And he finishes up by saying, people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus is saying here is, I'm going away. You can't come with me. And now no longer will people know that you are my disciple because you will be physically following me. People won't identify you, be able to identify you that way. The way that they will know you are a disciple is by your love for one another. So Jesus has set the standard, and he has also given you the test. And so that brings us into uh, verse 9, when John sort of dials in on what it means to love one another, and John's going to give us that test here, and I want to read this um, to you. So verse 9, Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going, because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So, I read through this passage a lot, and uh, it got me thinking about something, and it got me thinking about... Uh, the way Jesus shows love. And I don't want to dive into that too much today because John's really going to hammer this in in chapter 3. Uh, don't think you're getting off easy today, but I want to talk about a few ways that you can see Jesus as love because I think the problem in culture today, John was dealing with Gnosticism back then. Today, we're dealing with relativism, the idea that there is no kind of overall truth, that, that my truth is my truth and your truth is your truth. And so I think that really blows up what love is. I think culture has really... Uh, mess this one up. I think you, sh you probably all agree with me right now. And so, love is not accepting people as who they are. 
I'm just going to tell you that today. Love does not mean you should accept a person for who they are. It is not relative. Jesus set the standard for love. And so what does biblical love look like? And I can't go into all of the things about that today. Um, if you ever study the scripture and you try to look that up, there's a lot. Um, so I'm going to bring to you a few things that stuck out to me today. Jesus pursued people. Okay, Jesus called the disciples and he went after them. And as dumb as they were sometimes, he kept going after them. He pursued them. He did not let him them go. And he did that ultimately. He pursues us. And once we are his, he does not let us go. So I want to ask you today as we look at this test, do you pursue people like Jesus pursues people? Jesus served people. John is thinking back to the fact that Jesus was washing the disciples' feet. And Jesus' life was a life of service. His whole point here on earth was to serve us. And he did so with humility. If you think about the fact that he got down on his hands and his knees and he washed the apostles' feet, Jesus served people in a humble way. This is the king. And he's down on his feet, his hands, and he's serving people. He's giving up his time. He's giving up his priorities. Do you, church, do you serve people like Jesus serves people? Do you give up your time? Do you give up your priorities? Jesus forgives people. That's kind of an obvious one. Uh, I think he ultimately forgives um, Judas as he's going to betray. He, he, he's sitting there washing Judas's feet as he knows Judas is going to betray him. Jesus doesn't hold on to the actions of others. He loves people regardless of their actions. Do you hold on to hate for one another? Do you hold on to things that people have done to you? Do you hold that against them? Or do you forgive people like Jesus forgave people? Here's a big one that sticks out to me. Jesus knows people, and he doesn't know people like, hi, how are you doing? Jesus sees through people, and he calls them out on their sin. You see, I think this is a big one for us as we talk about love being acceptance. I think we are happy to sort of accept people as where we're at, we don't want to get into the uncomfortableness of actually knowing people and knowing how flawed and messed up people really are and calling them out on that. The Bible is filled of ways, the story of Jesus is filled of ways that he is calling out people. Jesus knows people. Do you, church, know people the way Jesus knows people? And finally, one of the big ones for me was that Jesus loves people of all types. He loves people across all ethnicities, all races, people with disabilities, people who are young, people who are old. Jesus' Jesus's love knows no barriers. I think that we struggle with this today. You can certainly see it in our political environment. And I want to tell you, do you love people like Jesus loves people? Do you have barriers to that love? Is it hard for you to love people who are different than you? So as I was starting to think of these ways, I was also starting to think of the way I've experienced brotherly love. And I think it's interesting that I'm preaching you here today because today is actually my 10-year anniversary at Outward Church. I have pause for applause there, so. I, I was kidding. Okay, okay. Great. I have been with this church for 10 years, and, I, and by the grace of God, I have been with this church for 10 years. But I think there's a, a big reason as I was looking at it is because of the brotherly love that I experienced here at Outward Church. I can remember specifically coming to Outward Church. So here, here's a little side note. 
It's also my 10-year anniversary of the first date with my wife. She didn't know I was going to say this. Uh, we met on Craigslist. That's a story for another day. You got to do some work to hear that story. I'll tell it to you one day when I'm up here, I promise. Now, that means I get to come back, right, Matt? Uh, so I, I, I came here because I was, I was chasing a girl, and I got her. Um, but what made me stick was the way that people showed me brotherly love here. I can think back to Pastor Matt, um, and I, it, it just amazed me that here he was, this pastor of this church, and he came and he introduced himself to me, and he invited me over to his house for dinner. Matt and Chris lived in this, like, little apartment, and they, like, just loved hosting, even in that small little apartment thing. I don't know what that was. It was weird. Uh, just like they love doing it today. And so they invited me over to their house, and they heard my story, and they got to know me, and they invested in me. And I began to know other people at Outward Church, and they invited me to be alongside them. I was joined the Connect team, and I got to know people. And people really, like, took an interest in me and loved me, and I never really, um, at least my, I don't feel like I'd experienced that much at a church before. I had a lot of bad experiences with the church. And I can even remember that um, another thing that Matt did, I don't know if he remembers this, but he would, like, call me into Pastor Matt's office, and this was like being called into the, the uh, principal's office a little bit, like, what, what, what am I coming in here for, Matt? And he was just so blatant about asking me about what's going on in my life and where the sin was. He, he just assumed that there was sin, and he asked me about it. And he gave me advice, and you know what I did? I walked out the door and completely forgot it. <laughs> but he pursued me. He kept coming after me. In fact, I remember one time... Um, I. Uh, Anak and I had moved to Eugene, and I'd sort of not been, we'd kind of attended a church here, and we were still coming to Outward once in a while, but I didn't, you know, I was kind of like making an excuse, like, I'm in between churches. That doesn't exist. Um, and, and I can remember, it was, thank, I think it was Thanksgiving Day, and, and Matt calls me up, and he goes, hey, dude, I just saw a post on your Facebook wall. What's that about? And I'm like, I haven't even talked with you in like three months. Like, what's going on? I don't even really go to your church anymore. He, he didn't care. He loved me as a brother. And there were so many other people, other elders that I serve alongside with, that I experienced this love with. So I began to think, man, that's so awesome that I've experienced this brotherly love at Outward Church. And here I am today. I'm a pastor at, at Outward. And God had really worked in my life. And so I began to read this passage and studying a little bit more, thinking about brotherly love. And then I noticed something. John doesn't, he's doing it again. He doesn't leave any middle ground here. He says, either you love or you hate. And I was like, oh, wait, where's the third option? Ryan talked about it last week. John uses these dichotomies, right? So he says, either you love or you hate. So here's this test. Do you love or you hate? And I started thinking, there's some people around here I haven't pursued. Shoot. There's some people around here I haven't served. Like, I've been pretty protective of my time lately. I've got twins, and, and, and my time is important right now. It's got to be for my family, and that, that is true. But I could start being convicted of some ways that I haven't been serving people. I haven't been giving up my time for some people, some of my brothers and sisters in Christ. I can tell you today that there are people that I think I need to confess that I haven't forgiven them for things that they've done to me. And, and, and there are people here, some of you guys probably, I don't know very well. <laughs> and I don't necessarily love people of all types. 
if Jesus is the standard and this is the test, do you guys begin to see the problem? I began to see the problem studying this passage. I began to say, how can I stand up here and preach to people when I don't do this? When I don't love the way Jesus loves? How can I give this message to you? And I began to think, and even as awesome as Pastor Matt is, I can tell you 100% certain he doesn't always love the way Jesus loves. And the apostles didn't always love the way Jesus loves. And you in this church, you don't always love the way Jesus loves. So then how are you saved? If this is the test and you don't meet it, how are you saved? And honestly, late last night I was thinking through this and I'm like, how am I going to preach this? And it's like, it hit me. I'm talking with Annika and I'm saying, what's going on? And we had this revelation, which is not a new revelation the test isn't about meeting some requirements. You see, what John knows about this passage, what John knows about this letter to the church, is as Christians, we want to do something to earn our salvation. We want to know the formula so that we can complete it, especially in American culture, so that we can have come to this arrival of salvation. We want to we know how to perfectly love so that we can be 100% confident in our salvation in Christ. And I'm absolutely certain that that's not what John is telling you here. And so I think you can miss something when we talk about the way Jesus made a new commandment. I talked about it a couple ways, but I want to go back to verse 8, because here is some important uh, information in the text. And so let's go back to verse 8. What does he say here? Right there in the middle, he says, which is true in him and in you. Some of your translations may actually say, which is true in him and therefore in you. You see, there's no point, Christians, that we arrive. There's no point where we have perfected our faith on this broken earth. What John is saying here is that Christ has fulfilled that commandment. See, if you remember this, the passage in the Gospel of John where I was talking about earlier, that they were all sitting around with Jesus, if you remember what happens next, Judas does come. Judas does betray Jesus. And Christ, who had lived a perfect life, who had loved like none of you will ever love, went to the cross. The people that he loved put them there. And they beat him, and they tortured him, and they mocked him. And they put a crown of thorns on him, and he bled out, and he died on that cross because he loved Jesus you. You see, when Jesus went to the cross, he fulfilled all of the commandments of the law. No longer are you bound by those commandments. No longer do you have to pay the price. No longer do you earn your salvation. You see, what Jesus did on that day is he changed this commandment from, I love so that I am saved, to, I am saved so now I can love. Jesus has freed us and called us into the love that he has given. And that's what John is saying here. So when you think of this test, when you look at the ways that you are imperfect, you go back to the gospel, that the gospel would be new. He uses these terms new and old for a reason, that the gospel would be new, that this commandment would be new in your life every day. As you see that you fail to meet this commandment, you would go back to Jesus and you would see what he's done for you on the cross. This is how it is a new commandment. Don't miss this. 
you will not earn your salvation. You see, what John wants to say here is to remind us of who his friend Jesus is. He's remembering Jesus. He's remembering that time when Jesus transformed him. He starts out this little children. It is the only time in the Gospel of John in that passage that he, that he uses the phrase little children, and it's the phrase Jesus used, and now he repeats it in, in the, this epistle seven times, and nowhere else in the Bible do you see that, because I absolutely believe what John is doing is he's remembering the point at which he was transformed, that point in which Christ compelled him and gave him a new life. This is the point of this passage. But all too often, we want to turn this into things that we can do in order to earn our salvation. And I think it's interesting that John goes on to say, in verse 8, the darkness is passing away, and the true light is already shining. Just pause and let that sink in a little bit. The darkness is passing away. John doesn't say the darkness has passed away. He says the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. So in, in, in verse, verses 9 through 11, when John is talking about the darkness, he sets you up by telling you the darkness is passing away, that this is a process of transformation. The new you is here. The new commandment is here. The old you is dying. And when you fail, when you mess up, that's the old you. But the darkness is passing away. The old you is passing away. Because Christ went to the cross, and he is the light of the world now. We talked about that last week, that God is light. That light is shining. We're in this, this term we've used in the kingdom series, the already but not yet, where Christ has fulfilled all of the commandments, but we are being transformed. So we go into verse 12, and this is another one of those texts, and I got to tell you, when I was struggling, this is the one that kept me up really late at night. I, I, I ended up reading about like first century Roman culture and all these weird facts, and I went down like this really weird Google trail of what it was like in, with the Romans and trying to really understand what he's talking about in this passage and reading all these commentaries. And, and I have to tell you, even scholars today disagree on a lot of things. They call this the triplets. and John uses children and fathers and young men, and he repeats himself. You probably thought when you were reading this along with me, like I did, like, didn't I just read this? But he repeats himself there. And then he uses like past tense and present tense. It is a really confusing passage, so much that I stayed up really late at night. And a total side story here, but ended up walking in darkness, but not like the way it kind of says here, but I was actually walking in darkness. I have twins, and you know, my wife's asleep, and I'm it's like trying to walk to bed through this dark hallway. I don't want to turn on the light because their door's kind of cracked open and it'd wake them up. You guys with kids know what I'm talking about. And so I'm doing like the ninja moves and I'm walking in darkness and uh, I'm stumbling around because I have other kids and they leave all these little like toys. They're kind of like Satan, but I shouldn't say that. But <laughs> they're leaving all of these ways for me to stumble in the darkness. And I tell you this only to say that when I prayed to God um, that he would reveal to me what this passage is saying, he did it in kind of a weird way. Total side comment. It sucks to walk in the darkness. Can I say sucks? It stinks to walk in the darkness. Uh, where was it? So this was a really confusing passage for me. And I studied it over and over and over again today. 
what I began to realize is that, yes, there are a lot of really interesting things in the way John writes. He's a super clever guy. He's kind of like Josh Rice. Um, but really, I think this passage is actually pretty simple. See, when we're talking about this process of transformation, John wants to remind you why he's writing you this letter, because at this point, you've been beaten up a lot, and you realize that you don't live up to those commandments. But oh, how sweet was the gospel. Oh, how sweet is the gospel again. And then you begin to see that the gospel is new in your life every day, and that's what transforms you. And so what I want to tell you today with the verses 12 through 14, and I'm not going to read them necessarily uh, again because it's just a lot to read. <laughs> but what I want today is to pull out these three truths about your relationship with Christ and the different stages um, that this comes in. So it says, it starts out, and it's interesting, what does it start out? Little children. John is using that term again. I think he's remembering when he was transformed. And so as children, you know who God is and you know your sins are forgiven. And because of that, as fathers, you know him, him who is from the beginning and so you have fellowship with God. As young men, because you have fellowship with God, you are strong. The word of God abides in you. And you have overcome the evil one. So today I want to ask you, do you know your sins are forgiven? Little children, as John would say, as Jesus would say. Do you know him who is from the beginning? Do you have relationship with him? Have you moved on from just knowing and understanding that your sins are forgiven? Yes, you prayed the prayer, but it doesn't stop there. That the Christian walk is not just that you pray a prayer and your sins are forgiven, but that you begin to have relationship and fellowship with God. Do you know that today? As young men, because you have fellowship with God, because you know your sins are forgiven, and don't get hung up on the young men and the fathers here. He's talking to the church. He's talking to believers. He's using these to represent the different stages. As young men, you are strong, and the word of God abides in you. And, and this is so great. Listen to this. You have overcome the evil one. Did you hear that? It's not that the evil one it's still kind of working in your life. When Christ went to the cross, he was defeated. We are in the process of transformation, Christians. The victory, the battle, it's already won. Do you know that today? As children, do you know who God is and that your sins are forgiven? Do you know that enables you to love, that you get to participate, that you don't have to imitate, you get to participate in God's love? And God's love for each other. As fathers, do you have a relationship with God? Do you know what it looks like now to love? Do you see how God loves? And does that love transform you to love others? You've been enabled, and now you know God. You see the standard. And as young men, as Christians, are you strong now? Because you know God. You know what it is to love 
And you know that the enemy has overcome. And so when the temptation to hate your brother comes back, do you go back to the cross knowing that sin has been defeated? Confessing and saying the enemy has been defeated. Christ has paid for it on the cross. Do you know that today? So Christians, I'm here to tell you that this passage is about love, absolutely. And that God set the standard to love. But being a Christian doesn't mean that you will ultimately be Christ. It means that you will ultimately look at your failures. You will use that as a test to know and come back to the cross to see how sweet it is that that cross would become new, that that commandment would remain new in you. And then you would go out and love as he loved. That is the test of being a disciple. There is no equation there is only Jesus. Our church, I hope today that we love as Christ loved. That we go out and we affect this city, not because we have to, not because we can be saved by doing good things, but that we go out and we change the city and we are in those schools, we are in Richmond Elementary, because Christ loved us and we get to participate in that. That's my hope for us today. Do you love do you love like Christ loved? And do you go back to him as the example and the salvation for all mankind? Let's pray. God, you are such an awesome God. I am so thankful that you went to the cross because God, sometimes I bear that weight I think about all the ways I don't measure up. But your gospel is so sweet. You went to the cross for me, God, and for all of us here today. Your, our sins have been forgiven. God, may we abide in you. May we look to you as the salvation. May we look to you as the example. God, today would you change us? Would you transform us? Would we see you as the Father? Would we see you as the one who paid for our sins and know that our sins are forgiven? Would we have relationship with you? Would we have fellowship with you that changes us and encourages us and sends us out strong into the world because the evil one has been overcome? God, you have done that on the cross. May that truth reign true today. God, my prayer today is that you encourage us through this word, God that we wouldn't just go out those doors and forget everything we heard, God, but that we would sit and be in the Word and read it over and over again and see how amazing it is and see how much we get to know you, God, and would we know you more out of that? And would that transform us today, God? Would I make this my prayer and my prayer for everyone here? And I do this in your great name. Amen.